Welcome to the Mystery of History podcast with the author Linda LaCour Hobar. The Mystery of History is an award-winning world history curriculum for all ages. This pre-recorded podcast is designed for parents and teachers seeking direction, encouragement, and inspiration for home and education from a biblical worldview. And now your hostess, Linda LaCour Hobar. Hello, friends. Being that we're all about history here and about home education, I thought it perfect to bring these worlds together today and talk about the benefits of hosting a medieval tournament and feast with a few how-tos. Now, to help me with this, I have invited a friend of mine who knows this topic well. My friend is Shelly Noonan of Pumpkin Seed Press. Shelly, welcome to the show. Hi, Linda. Thank you so much for having me. I think we have... uh seen each other from afar at conventions, but we've never had a chance to really talk. I know that is so true. We have, we kind of wave, Mm -hmm. (laughs) keep going. Those are (laughs) such busy events. So they are. Listen, so that my friends will best understand your interest in medieval times. I am going to read your bio. So here we go. Shelly and her adventure loving husband, Bob, live on a farm in Northeast Nebraska. Shelly is a homeschool mom of three grown children, a speaker, author, hospice chaplain, and blogger. She's also a certified etiquette instructor. She spoke at home education conferences across the U.S. on healthy family relationships for over 27 years. She has written and published numerous Bible studies for parents and children. In 2003, prior to her youngest son Jacob's homeschool graduation, he wrote the unit study lessons of King Arthur and his court to accompany a book he found at a library sale called Legends of King Arthur and His Court. Shelley later revised and republished The Legend of King Arthur and His Court and wrote Legacy of King Arthur and His Court, a Bible study that focuses on character traits found woven throughout the King Arthur legend. Okay, Shelley, well, I can hardly wait to get to the part about King Arthur because I'm a big fan, but let's start at the beginning So please tell us first, what got you pointed toward medieval feasts and tournaments? Uh, What was the catalyst to begin with? Well, I think that um, having a house full of children and um, having them have their friends come over, uh, uh, rambunctious herds of boys and giggling gaggles of girls, it can be challenging to have them in your house for the most, most creative and organized mom. I know it was for me. But that time spent was so well worth it. My three children were born about five years apart. So the 13 years that we homeschooled, our home was full of children in various growth stages and development. My house, I have to admit, was pretty disheveled at times. <laughs> and my nerves grew frayed at because of the Nerf gun wars, the play practices, the spa nights, the jousting tournaments. But I treasure these memories By opening up my home and entertaining these children, I was able to invest my time, love, and prayers into them as they grew into young adults. These precious lifelong relationships, they were forged during that time. For example, when my youngest son went to college about 100 miles away, his two best friends visited me just to make sure that I was doing okay in my empty nest. How sweet. (laughs) But unit studies were our favorite ways to learn. And the Middle Ages were specifically our favorite era. So to celebrate the completion of three years, uh uh-huh, three years of dwelling in the Middle Ages, we celebrated with a tournament and a banquet with his friends. 
Ooh, well, I really like where we're headed with this because of your experience. But uh, if you could hone in on some particular benefits that you experience, you've mentioned three, and you think others will experience this. So tell us, what are these benefits for tackling a medieval feast and tournament? So I think there are three reasons why this celebration is so successful and beneficial. The first one is research. It gives your children a reason to research different aspects of the Middle Ages, such as food, tournaments, and chivalry. By executing this party with them, they can grow and gather new information and synthesize what they've already learned. Secondly, would be creativity. Planning a tournament and banquet cultivates imagination and devises uh, ways for them to research and develop different games craft activities, design invitations, and even do meal planning and cooking. Thirdly, it's hospitality. Hosting an event like this allows you to tutor your students in the lost art of hospitality through planning, welcoming guests, caring for your guests while they're banqueting in your castle, and being kind. Mm, I like that. So here in summary, (laughs) it's research, creativity, and hospitality, which, as you say, is somewhat of a lost art. That is all good stuff. Now, I want to insert here for my listeners, there's this one colorful picture book that might be helpful. If you haven't seen this yet, and if you have kids, say, on the younger side, you might want to read A Medieval Feast. It's by Aliki Brandenburg. Now, she really just goes by her pen name, Aliki, as one name. But um, she is a prolific children's author and a really, really good illustrator. So in this little gem, she takes you into medieval times just to see what the ordinary people had to do to entertain their king. It's very well done. And I'm going to put the ISBN in the show notes because I know some people are just going to want to peek in it for further inspiration. Uh, Shelly, real quick, do you know this little book? You know, I remembered it. I took a glance at it because we spoke about it before. I took a glance at it. It looks so familiar, but I am not certain that I read it with my son, but I have read it before. Yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The the illustrations alone really are kind of worth grabbing it. And it's Beautiful. only 32 pages. So it is just one of those little guys. Well, listen, I suppose many a mom or dad can Imagine these benefits. They might even read that little children's book, but that's not the same thing as pulling off a big event. So let's kind of take this apart and let's start with research. Could you give us some examples of the things the students could dig into before trying to host a feast or tournament? Sure. Well, picture this. You've just completed an amazing season of studying this magnificent era, and you're looking for a way to synthesize everything that they've learned. Now is the time for even more research as they plan the banquet and the tournament. But this time is also a time for celebration for your children, for you all to put on this fabulous banquet. But it's a way to marry the two together. So Zora Hurston said this. She said, research is formalized curiosity. It's poking and prying on purpose. I love that quote. Oh, I like that too. Tournament events are one way that they can research, create a list of possible activities. They can make sure that they're safe and feasible. Maybe pick one to four age-appropriate activities, games or crafts. And this could include jousting, safe jousting with a tire swing, foot races, three-legged races, and mock sword fights. 
or they could research the origin of, of chivalry. Chivalry is a code of behavior born when a man's word was his bond. Loyalty was prized in both knights and fair maidens, and a person's good character was described as stainless or like gold. You could have your student discover different aspects of chivalry and how it has evolved into modern day etiquette. Ah, something you're very familiar with as an <laughs> etiquette. Uh, what did you call yourself? An advisor or etiquette instructor? Instructor. Oh, I like that. I think we need more of you in this world. Well, um, let's turn now to the creative side of this formula. So what are your ideas and suggestions? I mean, I do think Middle Ages kind of affords a lot of creativity. We certainly think of all the mythical things surrounding this era. I mean, there's dragons and damsels and knights and all that stuff. But a few more ideas. Get us started. Sure. Well, creativity is just another avenue to cement the information that they've gathered over this time period of study. Albert Einstein said, it is the supreme art of the teacher to awaken joy in creative expression and knowledge. So ways that you can do that is by uh, devising crafts. You can cut out cardboard shields for each guest and have craft supplies for the guests to adorn their shields with a coat of arms. Also, you could gather materials to create wooden swords for the tournament. If this group activity seems daunting, and it might if you're a busy mom like I was, ask your guests to make swords and shields at home and then bring them uh, to the gala. Or maybe you have somebody who enjoys cooking. Then creativity could just run wild with the menu. You can let your imagination run wild because anything goes. On the tournament day at our castle, we served a very simple meal of a savory roasted turkey drumstick on a trencher of freshly baked bread. Uh, I don't bake bread, but I can buy it from the freezer section. So I bought it from the freezer section, cut it in half, and the smell when they, the guests arrived was just heavenly. I also included bowls piled high with fresh fruit and offered plenty of grape juice. As for the music... Uh, I used Pandora at that time, but you could use Pandora or YouTube. All of these are free resources that you have at your fingertips, and you could have the instrumental music playing in the background to add to the merrymaking. Mm -hmm. I can hear it now. And since you <laughs> mentioned menu and music, I do want our listeners to know I've also created a resource that might help them in the how-to department for hosting because in volume two of The Mystery of History, I wrote a lesson about Eleanor of Aquitaine. By the way, she's one of my favorite women of medieval times. She's the queen of two nations. That was in lesson 59. And she just about single-handedly promoted chivalry. She was a big believer, and she also promoted reading and a certain style of elegance. Anyway, in the Companion Guide of Volume 2, I do give an overview for hosting a medieval face. Uh, medieval feast. Uh, for one, there's a few suggested dishes, like what you do and don't serve. But a couple other things I just want to mention first. I really encourage people when you're thinking on this bigger scale, keep things as simple as possible so that it'll be fun, but yet throw in a few specialty items to make it as authentic as possible, just to kind of make it worth the time you invested. So even if that's just one corner of all this that's more authentic, kind of do it, you know, push yourself the extra mile. And second, 
I do have a suggestion for the time of year to do a big project. I don't know about you, Shelly, but I discovered in all my years of homeschooling that February was like the best month for something kind of out of the ordinary. And I think it's just because it was beyond the regular holiday season, but it was before the spring fever would hit. So anyway, pick February for medieval feast. That's my suggestion. But in a quick summary, here's a path you could follow. Here's kind of an outline. And again, this is in volume two, but you can start with a real showy processional and an announcement of your lords and ladies. That's a good role for your real loud child. Then a hand-washing ceremony, which could be real simple. You put like lemony herb water in wooden bowls, then have a prayer, and all that would come before a three-course meal. And in between the courses is when you have entertainment, you know, minstrels or acrobats or whatever. Now, once it's all taken place, which... Oh, you know, that could easily eat up an hour or two. You bring it to an end with another hand-washing ceremony because that's probably what they would have done. You would say grace again and then have a formal dismissal by some kind of a caller. Again, get your extrovert to do that. And of course, after that, in all honesty, there should be an all-hands-on cleanup crew. <laughs> Everyone should be involved. Lords or ladies need to like get out of character at that point and help. But something else you can do that sounds silly but would be fun is if you have um, pets like dogs, like bring them in because in real life they would have had their animals help clean up the crumbs. So do the same. Anyway, did you have dogs ever roaming about at your feasts? Um, we actually had it outside. And oh. <laughs> so, yes, we did have a dog roaming around outside. And we also had... Oh, a huge population of cats. Like we had probably, we live on a farm, so oh. it's okay. But we had about 10, 15 cats. And they, I, as I remember that day, they joined us as well and helped us clean up after the feast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I've always been in the suburbs. Always, always, always. So I'm pretty sure our medieval feast, uh, we were in more than one, uh, but it was usually at a church. So I don't remember them letting us bring a dog, but I always thought that that would really be fun if you were at home. Bring your dog. Uh, okay, well, moving on, though, let's talk about hospitality. We already mentioned that as something that's a little lacking in modern time. I don't know. It's kind of a lost art. So what are your ideas for helping to employ the gift of hospitality? Well, I agree with you. I think hospitality is a gift and it is lacking today. But we're also, as Christians, all commanded to be hospitable. First Peter 4, 9 says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. So why not use this event to purposefully teach hospitality? I mentioned, and you mentioned in my bio that I'm a trained etiquette instructor, and I teach the importance of manners to college students in our area by conducting etiquette banquets and teaching classes on business etiquette so that they can use this and employ this in their private and professional world. I have to tell you that manners help people, both young and old, stand out among their peers. And when I teach these students, I continually recognize how much further ahead they would be in their personal and professional life if they had been taught the importance of manners and these techniques of etiquette earlier in their lives. So it's never too early to teach this. So using this event, one thing that I would encourage you, one of the first things I would encourage you to do is, is teach your child about invitations. So in that invitation, you'd want to include the date, the hours of the party, your home address. Um, you'd also want to include an RSVP so that you know who's coming and your phone number. 
You want to inform your guests that this is a period costume party. That's the dress code. And that medieval attire is suggested. And you might want to have just extra costumes. And I say costumes with quotations on that on hand just in case uh, somebody forgets theirs. These costumes can be easily assembled from clothing items you have in your home or acquired from secondhand clothing stores. Um, you want to mail or deliver these invitations personally. My son created his on some parchment paper that he rolled up like a scroll and tied with a ribbon. He gave them to each of his friends personally. So the details. The details of the invitation are really important and of the event are important. While including the time and date is essential, the duration of the event is crucial. A two to four hour window of time is sufficient for a banquet and tournament. You can go large or small in this, but my suggestion is that maybe make it a smaller event so that it's more easy to manage and that there's more opportunity for participation from all the kids. The other thing is you about hospitality is you're teaching your children preparation. You can bake the turkey drumsticks and the bread tencher, trenchers the day before. And I mentioned already that I used frozen bread dough because mm -hmm. I, I don't know how to make bread, but I do know how to bake it from the freezer section. Uh, you can make sure your purchase is enough French, excuse me, you can purchase enough fresh fruit and have the grape juice flowing. For our feast, we set up all these banqueting tables in our backyard so that it was easy for cleanup. The the last thing I think is about hosting. So great hosts and hostesses are not born. They're trained. Take this opportunity to teach your children the importance of manners while they host. The concept of chivalry was born at this time. And a medieval tournament and feast is a perfect opportunity to practice this skill. The following are some suggestions to teach your children how to be gracious hosts or hostesses. The first one is be ready about 20 minutes before the time on the invitation. You want to be ready for your guests. Next, greet your guests at the door. Have your student greet them by saying, be friend or foe. Of <laughs> course, they're going to answer friend, and then they'll have admittance into the castle. But if they answer for, foe, a sword, a sword can be drawn, and a stern, I shall have to keep an eye on thee until the end of the tournament. <laughs> you can have fun with it. Um, next, introductions are essential. Have a herald announce the guest's arrival and use their name. For example, welcome, Lord Johnny. And you mentioned about the extrovert child. This is a perfect jo job for him. You want to encourage your students to put on a jovial attitude and a smile along with their costume. This is a celebration. They need to act like it. Then you want to encourage them to pay attention to all the guests. They want to check in regularly that their needs are being met. You want to teach them how to extend hospitality. When all the guests arrive, the craft time and the tournament can begin. You can start that by saying, let the games begin. And then when the crafts and the games are done, the feast begins with let us eat and make merry. Mm. I can really kind of see it all now. So what's interesting is the 
in volume two, I really talk about this feast and all its details, but you're enlarging this vision with really a fun tournament ahead of time where I can picture more of the the jousting and these three-legged races and all that stuff. But that could be a pretty a pretty cool combination. Have a tournament, pause, and then again, you know, let the feasting begin. So anyway, <laughs> well, in summary, it definitely sounds like a good way to internalize history, which is what we're about here. Certainly, it's a way to be creative. And I do love this part about having them practice those skills of hospitality. Just, I mean, let them try on their own friends or the family members that you drag into this. You know, invite the grandparents by all means, and hopefully all are a bit forgiving. It's not going to go perfectly, is it? Mm-mm. Well, let's also use this time, if I could, I want to transition to a product that you have made that I think is going to help enrich this experience. And it goes back to this publication of King Arthur. And before you get into that, I'm just going to insert a a quick personal story. I don't know if my readers know this or not, but I think it was stories of King Arthur that I read in about fifth grade that probably had a lot to do with me ever liking history. I think it started with King Arthur. I don't know. I got pretty swept up. Uh, Again, I was about fifth or sixth grade. was at the age I could ride my own bike to the library. I did that with a girlfriend all the time in the summers. We had little summer reading clubs. And I just remember reading all that I could get my hands on. And I guess it was a a, a combination of the adventure. I think it was the romance. And I think it was the chivalry. I was pretty sucked in. And, you know, what I didn't know then is that there were Christian undertones to really all that chivalry. Uh, I just, you know, wasn't even aware, but it was planting seeds, I guess. So anyway... Well, tell me what lured you in this direction or fascination of King Arthur. I know there's more to the story for you. Well, my youngest son's um, siblings had just left for college and Jacob was home. And, you know, it's kind of a sad thing when your older siblings leave and they're busy with other things. And so one of his interests was the Middle Ages. And we went to a library sale in our area. Um, I'm, I don't know if they, that happens in your area, but in our area during that time, people would, the libraries would sell off books that they no longer wanted. Well, Jacob found a dusty old volume of Legends of King Arthur and His Court by Frances Nemo Green. Now, Frances, who's a woman, wrote an engaging approach, an approachable rendition to the Legends of King Arthur based on Alfred Lord Tennyson's long poem entitled The Idols of the King. Now, she wove quotes from the poem throughout her work, and Jacob loved this book so much that he would pull it out over and over again and read and reread it during our unit study. Jacob graduated from homeschool and was accepted and entered as a full-time student at a junior college in our area at age 15. But as a final project, I asked him to write a unit study that went with this book. I asked him to write it for kids that were between the ages of 9 and 14 so that they could experience this and go deeper into the book, Legends of King Arthur and His Court. He completed the unit study, and we set it aside for a few years. Later, when he was just about to become a father, I think it was in 2015, our family company, Pumpkin Seed Press, published it. I then revised and published Francis Nemo Green's book, Legends of King Arthur and His Court, and created a Bible study that went with the entire series and completed the trilogy. Mm. 
I so love that. You know, I have a copy of it because <laughs> I used it in some of my own research. And one of the things I really like is that I feel like as a Christian author that you did pull out against some of those Christian undertones to chivalry. So it was a little less magical when it came to Merlin and all that, but a little bit more on just some of that, uh, even the etiquette of the Middle Ages. So we so appreciate that you did that. And what age would you say this is most appropriate for? I know your son, when he was writing as his assignment, how cool that you gave him that assignment. <laughs> oh, yeah, make a Bible study. But you said he was targeting kids 9 to 14. Would you say that that's still kind of true of your materials? Is that a good window? I do think so. And um, especially for Legends of King Arthur and his court, it's really is for between 9 and 14. But I've I've had people tell me that they've used it with their kids up to 16. Or they've give, given a 12-year-old the whole study and they've done it themselves at 12. So I think it really depends on your child. But the age is, is perfectly between 9 and 14. Mm-hmm. Well, I've told people this many times over, but uh, 11-year-olds tend to be some of our biggest fans because I think there's something very special about an 11-year-old. I wonder if that applies here too. I feel like at 11, those students are like old enough to really get that there is evil in the world and they seem to better understand where it's coming from, but they're also young enough, perhaps naive enough that they still think they can change the world, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. I don't know, it's a tender age and I feel like chivalry uh, just would fall along the same lines of really grabbing them at that age because, you know, they they do want to make the world a better place. So it's not really easy to live with 11-year-olds, but <laughs> I love their <laughs> idealism. Like I said, they tend to be big fans of world history as it opens up so much. As a matter of fact, we are so excited about the King Arthur series that you've created that we're going to become the exclusive carriers of it. Oh, this is such a win-win, Shelley, and thank you, because we know you're transitioning to full-time work as a chaplain, which is such a beautiful ministry, and you're going to continue to offer Bible studies. All of that can be found at ShellyNoonan.com. And we, on the other hand, are going to take on the King Arthur series because it so wonderfully relates to world history and a Christian heritage. Friends, you can get The Legends of King Arthur and His Court on our website. That's themysteryofhistory.com. And with that purchase, you're going to get a free digital Bible study by Shelley. It's just so fitting. Now, as a separate purchase, you can get a paperback study guide. That's the one created by Jacob Noonan. Or You can save on both products and buy them in our King Arthur bundle. Now, since we're nearing Christmas, from now until December 31st, 2023, you can use the code CHIVALRY on our website and you will get 20% off of the book alone. Our hope, of course, is that you'll consider a copy of King Arthur as a Christmas gift for a girl or a boy of any age. Well, Shelly, I think you and I could probably talk about King Arthur and his knights and all sorts of things for a whole lot of time, but we know we have busy moms and dads here. It's been an honor. It's been fun to have you here, and we appreciate so much your time and your experience. Uh, So thank you for coming today. Absolutely. Linda, thank you so much for having me, and thank you for giving me a platform to talk about this and to reconnect with you. Yes, yes, it's been good. Well, friends, we are so glad you joined us. We hope you'll feel inspired to take on a medieval feast for all the benefits mentioned here. Remember, February is a good month for the big projects. If it's not a medieval feast, maybe it's a Roman feast or a Greek feast or whatever. Um, But yeah, February. And honestly, home education, sometimes it gets messy. It's involved 
it does require some energy on our part, but I guarantee you it's worth the investment. Well, until we meet again, friends, may the Lord bless you and keep you. I'm Linda LaCour Hobar for the sake of the mystery. Thank you for listening to the Mystery of History podcast with Linda LaCour Hobar. For more information on our curriculum or for additional resources like games, video lectures, and self-paced courses, visit themysteryofhistory.com, a one-stop shop for chronological, Christian, complete world history for all ages.